for you, Lord, just to fully live for you. Just, it's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I pray that you just bless this time together. Um, just let our hearts just be open and yielded to one another and to your word. And I pray that you just bless this house, God, in, in ways that they're just opening up their house to, to give what they've been given. It's a blessing. Just bless Dean and Amy. Bless their family in every way, Lord. I'm going to say water. Let them be watered themselves, as the word says. And um, we just look forward to what you're going to say. And help us to just, just God, just keep on putting more stuff in us today. Just to continue to, that we would continue to give it back to you in praise. As I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you guys brought your Bibles, if you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Um, basically, we've, been, we've just been studying about how to study your Bible. Um, at some point, we'll get into other topics and things, but that's where the Lord has us right now. Uh-huh. Proverbs 18, verse 17. And uh, what we're going to be specifically talking about today is context and reading your Bible in context because pretty much everything is about context. Um, uh, if you, pretty much anyone that takes the Bible and, and distorts it, they, they usually taking something out of context. And basically what taking something out of context is, is, is you might take a part of that verse, but not all of it. And um, you can take a part of something, if, if, if I was to write a letter and talk about certain things, you could take part, of, if you took part of that letter, but not the rest of it, you could get a whole completely different meaning. Um, I know of books, there's, there's a book that we used to read called uh, War on the Saints, and uh, that book was edited, and the edited version is almost exactly opposite of what the original version was. And so, you, it's easy to take things out of context and totally twist their meanings. And so, when we're studying the Bible, we want to be careful that we are studying it in context. And in Proverbs 18, verse 17, it says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. And basically the context of this is in, a, is in a court of law or whatever, but I think that it also applies to our study of the Word of God. Um, a lot of times we hear things from the pulpit or we hear things from another person or someone's talking about the Word of God and they'll say a particular thing that doesn't sound quite right, right? And then when you go and you look at that verse that they're talking about and you look at it in the context, you're like, well, that doesn't, that's not at all what that verse is saying. And again, part of this is our familiarity with the Word of God. And the more we're familiar with the Word of God, the more we know our Bibles, the more we study our Bibles, the more we uh, immerse ourselves in the Word of God, the more we'll know what we're listening to is the truth or it's not the truth, right? Just like, again, Paul talked about the Bereans. He said, they're more noble than the rest because they take the things that I say and they go and search them out and study the Word of God to see if these things are true. And uh, basically, God wants us all to be Bereans because if we're the type of person that just goes to church, listen to what the pastor's saying and listen to what the message that's being taught is, if, we're, if we don't take what we're taught and go to the Word of God for ourselves, then it's likely that we're going to be deceived. Right. And uh, look at verse 13. Okay, 
Verse 13 of that same chapter says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame to him. You see that? And there's a lot of us as believers where we might not know exactly what we're talking about, but we have just enough Scripture knowledge to, to think that we do, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk forever and we'll, we'll talk all about all these kinds of things. Oh, well, God showed me this or God showed me that. And a lot of times you, we don't have enough Scripture foundation for what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says that that's a folly. Mm -hmm. And it says that fools do that. And so, again, we have to be those who study to show ourselves approved, who know what the Word of God says. Mm -hmm. Basically, we have to fall in love with the Word of God, guys. Yes. Um, it's like we talked about before. You know, people, we as humans, we'll read books till they're coming out of our ears. We'll read all the Harry Potter books. We'll read all kinds of books, you know, and stuff. And yet, for many of us, we've never sat down with the Word of God and read the whole book. You know what I'm saying? And sure, again, there are difficulties with it, but just like with anything, there are so many things in life that you start out with that are difficult at first. But if you stick with them, if you're patient and you, and you apply yourself, then everything in life becomes easier as you apply yourself, right? And then there's also advice that you can give from other people. There's commentaries. There's all kinds of aids. There's all kinds of helps to help you and I study with the Word of God. So my advice is read the whole Bible. I mean, you might start in the book of John. Read the whole book of John like two or three times, you know, and then start with the New Testament. Read the New Testament two or three times. Get familiar with the New Testament. And then you can go to the Old Testament and start with the Old Testament. And you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so again, the more that we, and, and it's not, obviously we do want to be familiar with the Word of God so that we understand whether what we're being taught is true or it's not true, but also Jesus is in the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is all over the Word of God. It's just a matter of us seeing Him there. Right. Right? right. And it's a matter of us being able to, to handle the Word of God with, uh, with maturity and with understanding and know what God is speaking to us and to be able to see Jesus on every page of the Bible because He's there. Right? Yeah. Um, so context sees the whole picture. Um, we were counseling a couple when we were younger, and uh, the... Um, it was a church member. Yeah, it's when we were doing the church. But uh, the husband called us, and the he... Wife. Or the wife. wife called us, thank you, and said that her husband hit her. And so, like... We're freaking we're, out. We're up in arms, and we're like, we, we, we want to talk to this guy. We, want, we need to get him in here and talk to him and see why he hit his wife. And so we get him in there, and we get her in there, and we get them in there together, and come to find out, it's because she was chasing him around the house with a knife. <laughs> so just like that scripture that we looked at in verse 17, it says, uh, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. And so again, a lot of times, if, we, if we're unfamiliar with the whole story, right. or if we're unfamiliar with the whole Word of God, if we just know little bits and pieces or our favorite parts of Scripture, then we'll believe that something is true that might not actually be true. Right? right? And so again, it's as we know the entire thing, it's as we become familiar with the Word of God and the God of the Word, that we begin to understand how to, how to apply it and how to understand it. Okay? Um, context helps you sort out uh, fact from fiction. Uh, uh, we almost always lean towards the first thing that we hear, right? 
Um, it's just like in the same case with that case when the woman called us and told us told her us that her husband hit her. I mean, immediately we're we our minds are made up and we 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 need to deal with this guy and stuff. And that's the way that we are as human beings. Uh, like even just musically speaking, I always like original songs rather than remakes. I mean, that's just because you get familiar with that, and so it becomes something that's a part of you. And then when you hear a remake, you're like, eh, that's not nearly as good. Anything, right? But that's the way we are as human beings. We tend to gravitate what we first hear, and and that becomes kind of our world. That becomes kind of our 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 um, paradigm, our way of looking at things, our way of understanding. And so we gravitate towards the first things, but. With the Word of God, it takes some being patient, and it takes um, it takes studying the whole thing to where we're familiar with it, and that way we can understand all of it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, like just I, w- I wanted to give you guys some examples of of how taking things out of context um, changes things. Um, the media is is the, uh, is masters of misrepresentation, they're masters of taking things out of context, changing the entire thing of what you said to where now it sounds like the complete opposite. And that's frankly why a lot of people won't speak to media. They won't do interviews and things like that because they know that the things that they say are going to be taken out of context, they're going to be twisted. And so especially believers, a lot of times believers won't do interviews with uh, like non-believing media because they know that things are going to get twisted. Um, but some of the ways, like, you guys know that movie Seven that came out, like, in 95? It was Brad Pitt. Um, so anyway, um, like, there was a quote by a guy that, that reviewed the movie, and he said, The credit sequences with its jumpy frames and near subliminal flashes of psycho paraphernalia is a small masterpiece of dementia. So when the movie people got a hold of it and they're advertising the movie, what they did is they took a small part of that and they said, this movie is a small masterpiece. Instead of as a masterpiece right? of dementia. So they took just a portion of that phrase of what that reviewer said and they used that to sell the movie. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. There was another one uh, in 2007. You guys know that movie Live Free or Die Hard? Um, uh, the New York News quoted it saying that it was hilariously entertaining. But the original quote that the reviewer said, he said it was hysterically overproduced and surprisingly entertaining. (laughs) So again, this is how if you take a couple words out, if you take things out of their original setting, you can get a complete um, misinterpretation, a complete difference of what it's actually saying. So, uh, again, when we hear the Word of God, when we study the Word of God, we have to look at it in its context. We have to try to put ourselves in the foot, uh, the, the footprints of the people who originally received that and say, what was the writer of this scripture trying to say to the people who received it? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think there's a commercial on TV about uh, these guys that raise chickens. And, um, and see, the thing is, is I listen to words. I listen to what people are actually saying. Because advertising says all kinds of things that if you're not listening, that, you know, your mind even tricks you and, and it tells you that they're saying one thing when they're actually not. But there's this one chicken company and they're talking about, well, you've heard all these chicken companies saying that their chicken is completely organic, Right. And they say, well, here at this farms, we, uh, the, it says, according to FDA rules, all chicken has to be 
hormone-free when it leaves the plant. So we here, we make sure all of our chickens are hormone-free. Well, if I'm listening, what I hear is like, okay, some companies say that their chickens are raised hormone-free, but you're saying that your chickens, when they leave your plant, are hormone-free. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. And again, this is how the media does. This is, this is how our world does, and this, is, and this is how people get sucked into false doctrines. It's how people get in, sucked into false religions because with all false religions, with all cults, they put out enough truth there to where it looks real, mm -hmm. right? And, but the thing is, is that once they get you sucked in, then they start feeding you all the, all the lies. Um, it's like counterfeiters. Do you know that people, when they, when they are trained to uh, discover counterfeits, they don't look at a, a hundred million counterfeit bills and try to see what a counterfeit bill looks like. What they do is they study a real bill. Because if you're familiar with the real thing, you'll know a counterfeit when you see it. So if we as believers, if we are familiar with the real thing, we'll know counterfeits, right? I know so many believers, they're like, well, how do I, how do I witness to Jehovah Witnesses? Or how do I witness to Mormons? Or, or what will I do if one of them comes to my house? I'm, I'm not prepared. My advice is know the truth. Mm -hmm. If you know the truth, whenever they start saying things, eventually they're going to say something that's not right. And all you have to do is, you know what the Bible says right here, that that is not true. Right? Um, so let's look at some examples. Turn to Joel chapter 1. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, but used to be when I was a, a young believer and I was leading worship in church, we used to do a song uh, uh, called Blow a Trumpet in Zion. It says they rush on the cities, they run on the walls, great is the army that carries out his word. They rush on the city, they run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his call. Yeah, something like that. And it says, The Lord utters his voice before his armies. And it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. We used to sing that song a lot in the church. Oh my gosh, we're happy. And sometimes when I would hear the words of that, something would strike me and say, There's something wrong about this. There's something not right about this song. And so. I went to Joel because this song is taken out of the uh, book of Joel, and I started to read the book of Joel. And in verse, in Joel chapter 1, verse 1. Can we look at where the song is taken from? First? Yeah, we will in just a second. Okay. In Joel 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, O, o elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Now, every time the Bible's talking about, in the Old Testament, where it talks about the land, Almost always it's talking about Israel and the people of God. Now when it talks about peoples or nations or something like that, then a lot of times that's talking about the Gentiles. But almost exclusively when the Old Testament talks about the land and the people of the land, it's talking about the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews. He says, Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten, and what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten, and what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake drunkards and weep and wail all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. 
Look in verse 6. For a nation is invited, has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste, and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. So in context, we see that he's talking to the people of God. Now, if you do a biblical survey on the book of Joel, you know that one of the things that they were dealing with was that the Chaldeans were coming and basically ravaging the land of Israel. They were sending in raids, they were destroying the people, they were destroying their crops, and things like that. Uh, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And this will bring us to that song. In verse 1 it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Now when I used to sing that song, I would sing that song, blow an alarm on my holy mountain, and I'd be, what's an alarm? An alarm is not like something that you're, you're blowing to greet somebody. An alarm is not something that, you know, that's a happy thing. An alarm is, wake up. We have problems. There's, we're being attacked. This is an alarm, right? That's what alarms do. He says, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn is spread over the mountains, so, there's a, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations." A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them. In other words, everywhere they go, they bring in destruction. And nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With the noises of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them the people are in anguish, all faces turn pale. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line. Nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. So again, all this is a picture of the enemy coming into Jerusalem and destroying the people of God. It says, Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters His voice before His army. Surely His camp is very great, and strong is He who carries out His word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Look at this in verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him. You see that? And if you go on to verse uh, 25, it says, it keeps going and talks about repentance and what will happen if they repent. And then in verse 25 it says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the, the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. So the, in context, his great army was not the people of God. It was the enemy that God sent to bring judgment so that they would repent. Yeah. 
So again, whenever we hear stuff, we have to look it up in context and see what the Scripture is saying. Because that song was a song of victory. It was a song, the way that we sang it, it was a song of victory against the enemies and the powers of darkness and Satan and his kingdom and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But if you look in the context of how it is in the Word of God, it's not that way at all. It's a, exactly. It's a call to repentance. And because the people of God are in sin, God is allowing the enemies to, to basically ravage them. And so, you know, that song should be one of, of like, we need to seek God. It should be a somber thing. And it should be a, we need to, we need to get on our faces before God. So, um, so the thing is, is, is you, like, you look at it and you're like, well, it's not that bad, right? It's just a song and stuff like that. But my, my whole thing is, is what, what is the meaning behind it? And if, if, we, if we allow things to slip, we'll allow everything to slip, right? right? And the Word of God is, is not something that we take lightly. The Word of God is the Word of God. And when God says, this is judgment, that's not something that, I feel like I can rejoice over or I can take lightly. It's something that we need to take seriously and see that God is warning His people or was warning His people, look, you guys need to turn from your wicked ways. If not, the enemies are going to ravage you. Uh, turn to another place in Matthew chapter 5. I think we even um, talked to the pastor about that song and showed him the context and he just kept on playing the song the next week. We were just like, what's that? Matthew 25? No, chapter 5. Matthew 5. And, that, and that's the thing, too, is a lot of us, a lot of times, we get invested. We as believers, we get invested in a certain point of view or a certain thing. I have had so many times where I've been wrong yeah. concerning the Word of God. And when someone shared me something with me, the truth, you know, I didn't go, oh, you know, I can't listen to that or, or you're wrong or whatever. It's like, that's at the point where you have to say, look, I'm wrong. I have to turn from the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm believing. I have to change my ways because the Word of God is everything. It stands before everything. And that, that was the problem with the Pharisees. Jesus would say the Word of God to them and they're like, no, we're not going to receive that. We're Pharisees. You can't teach us. You know, who are you to try to teach us? You're just this peasant. We're Pharisees and stuff. And we have to be careful and the church has to be careful that we don't come to the point to where we cannot be changed. We cannot be moved by the word of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew 5 verse 5. We're going to look at some scriptures that, that we take out of context often. Uh-oh. Yeah, you got the wrong reference. I got the wrong reference. Matthew 6, verse 5. Okay. <laughs> I was close. That's what I do a lot of times because you know how your headings on the top will say Matthew 5, but you'll be in Matthew 6. So. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 5. We're going to talk about prayer. Jesus said, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that you may be seen by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you pray, but you you when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. And everyone knows this prayer. We've, you know, I've been in schools, we've prayed this prayer. We, you know, um, people all over the world pray this prayer. And what we do is we lift this prayer out of its context and we pray this prayer without seeing the rest of what Jesus is saying. He says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And again, most of us, we stop at this point. I mean, it's an awesome prayer, right? And, and, but But the Bible doesn't stop there. And this is where context comes in. Again, most, a lot of us as believers, what we do is we'll take certain parts of Scripture and we'll read those parts of Scripture and then we'll stop at a certain point without finishing what the thought is, without finishing the idea of what the writer was putting in there. That's not, the writer didn't stop right there. In verse 14 he says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And see, and you're like, well, how does that go along with that prayer? Well, in verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see that? So tied up in prayer, prayer is not, uh, it's kind of like what Jeremy was talking about last night. There are conditions to prayer. Prayer is not something that you just throw up in the air and that anyone can pray. There, There are conditions. And God says, yeah, I want you to pray. And Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray because it's His desire that they do pray. It's His desire that they communicate with his fa- with the Father. It's His desire that they know the Father. But He says, but there are conditions on that. And one of those conditions is forgiveness because if you do not forgive other people, your Father in Heaven will not forgive you. Yeah. I have a stupid question. And I'm really... <laughs> But what about when, like, I think it was David that was praying with, like, the window open, you know what I'm saying? Do what now? Like, <laughs> Daniel, you, yeah, Daniel praying with the windows open. Well, like people did see that he was praying, yeah. like, he wasn't praying in secret. The <laughs> thing is, okay, here's the thing, and that is a good question. That's not a dumb question at all. Yeah. But, um, what was his motive? Okay, Um, the Pharisees, Jesus would oftentimes um, rip into the Pharisees because they would stand on street corners and pray these really long prayers and stuff. Not only that, they wore they wore um, like shawls called prayer shawls, and they would like they had tassels on them. And basically, the more the longer your tassels were, the more holy you were. So, so in order to be seen by men, yeah, that's why they would do that. Right. And so they prayed for the purpose of Being men seeing them and saying, wow, that's a holy person right there. That man, that person has it together. That's a, that's a godly man. We have to look at the whole context because later on in the New Testament, it says, let all men, believers, lift up holy hands praying everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times people think that people who go out to evangelize and pray for people are false because they think they're 
trying to be seen, and that may not be the case because mm-hmm. the word they're obeying that scripture. So mm-hmm. it just is. It depends on the posture of our heart. Mm-hmm. Well, in but, Daniel's case, you're talking about it, it's just completely different. He's in a pagan nation, so mm-hmm. anybody seeing him there praying is seeing that he belongs to a different God and is yeah. doing things differently than right. them, and so he's risking his life and mm-hmm. he's looked down on so he's definitely not doing it to be seen as holy he's showing them that he's different and mm-hmm. he's praying to a different God yeah. so it's a very different heart mm-hmm. that he's doing it with completely different mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like the difference between showing off and being a witness mm-hmm. yeah but I mean, but the reason why that's such a great question is because it does bring up what is the context, right. what is the purpose, why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, again, on one hand, you have people that are doing it so people will look at them and go, "Ooh, this person's awesome," or you have other people who are doing it so that people look at them and say, "God is awesome." Mm-hmm. And so again, Daniel, his whole heart was to glorify God. And, and that's the thing. It's not that you're praying in public. That's not the thing that's the issue. The problem is, who are you glorifying? Right. Are you glorifying yourself or are you glorifying God? Right. And so, yeah, I mean, that's an awesome question. And that's, that is, that's exactly how you start to look at context. That's how you start to understand is when you look beyond the surface and right. say, what is the main issue that we're talking about? Right. The issue is, again, Jesus is talking about, yeah, when you do pray, this is how you do it. Um, this is why you do it, and, and things like that. Right, that's good. So, uh, turn to another place in John chapter 9. So again, we saw that there are conditions to prayer. In John 9, verse 31, um, this is after Jesus healed a a paralytic man on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are are totally just losing it over that because they're all about the Sabbath. They're all about keeping the Sabbath and the Mosaic law and the rules and things like that. And Jesus over and over told them that mercy triumphs over all that, right? Right? He would tell them things like, "Well, what what if your donkey gets caught in the uh, in a in a hole in a pit on the Sabbath? Are you going to try to get it out, or are you going to leave it there?" And again, he's showing that God's ways are all about mercy and things, and God's ways are, are supersede all that stuff. But in in verse thirty one, they said, "We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does His will, He hears him." So again, when it comes to prayer. And even with the Pharisees, Jesus said, do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. So even with the Pharisees, they would say a lot of true things, right? And Jesus said, listen to what they say, but don't do the things that they do. And so the point that I'm just trying to bring out of this is the point where they says, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he he listens to the hearts of those who are humble. And then Psalm, uh, let's see Psalm 24, verse 3, I'll just read it to you. It says, Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? It says, um, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who can stand in His holy place? 
Look at this in verse 4. It says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So, when we begin to study these scriptures, when we begin to look at it beyond the surface of them, we begin to see a pattern. And that's how scripture, because there is context in those particular verses that you're reading, right? But there's also context in the whole of Scripture. When you take a Scripture from uh, Proverbs and you tie it with a Scripture in Matthew and you tie that with a Scripture in John and they all come together in agreement and they're not disagreeing with each other but they make a complete picture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because in Deuteronomy it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses every, every matter is, is established. So that's how you get context from the whole of Scripture. And again, the more you study it, then, you know, the more it begins to make sense. And what happens is you'll be reading something in Matthew and you'll remember something from like Deuteronomy. Or you'll remember something from the book of John that ties in with what you're reading and, you, and it just adds another piece of that puzzle. And so again, the Scripture never contradicts itself. It forms a complete whole picture. It forms... Just a, a beautiful puzzle. So, um, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at another scripture that we kind of take out of context a lot. And the thing about scripture is a lot of times you have to be almost like a detective, right? You have to look at it in some senses as kind of like a crime scene. You have to break it down. You have to say, well, what happened here, right? Who are the people that are involved in this situation? Why are they involved in it? What do they benefit from it? What do they lose from it? You know, all those kinds of questions. So um, when we study the Word of God, it, it's not something like, oh, this is my religious thing that I have to do. I have to read the Word of God for an hour today, so I'm going to hurry up, read it, and get through with it, and be done with it. If we do that, you are going to completely miss it. The Word of God has to be savored. It has to be um, chewed on. It has to be, you know, you have to think. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of meditation. If we just try to blast through it, you're never going to get anything out of it. In uh, Matthew 7, verse 1, and again, this, this scripture is so misused and stuff. Um, I don't know about you, but so many times you'll share the scripture with, you'll share the word of God with people, and they're like, "Hey, judge not, lest you be judged." Like sinners will do that too. Right. When you're evangelizing. You know, I, I've told you guys the story about. Yeah, yeah. Even believers that are doing things that they know that they shouldn't do. Right. And stuff, and and they take this scripture and they 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 twist it to their own to try to protect themselves and stuff. And in verse 1 it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now if you stop right there, then, okay, sure, you can come up with that answer. But if you continue, you see that that's not what all that it's saying right there. It says, For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, let me just say this. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us on this planet, we judge hundreds of times every single day. Some of those judgments are righteous. Some of those judgments are not righteous. 
okay? <laughs> we are actually created to be like that because God is like that. And because uh, think of it in this way, the, uh, another word for judgment is discernment, right? We discern situations. We discern, is this right? Is this proper? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this person right? Is this person bad? Things of that nature. And again, we all do it. And we all do it many times a day. So to say that this is something that you can never do is impossible. Because it's not going to happen in the first place. Okay? Because we are designed to do that. And it is a good thing. It's a safeguard for you. Right. And it's a safeguard for me when you, we use discernment. Because then you're not going to go out with some guy that's an idiot. Or you're not going to go to places where you ought not be. Or you're not going to hang out with people that you ought not hang out with. Or do things that you ought not do. Because you're discerning. You're judging that situation. Whether it's right. Whether it's wrong. Whether I should do this. Whether I should not do that. Okay? So, verse 3, it says, Why do you look at the speck that it's in, that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, For, Let me take the speck out of your, your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. So what's the problem? The problem is that your brother has this tiny little splinter in his eye, but you got this huge log in your eye, right? And I think that we've all been at that place. I've been at that place certainly myself and stuff where we're trying to judge other people and then but the table turns on you and God says well what about the things that you're doing right Amen. so again the issue is not that you are pointing out the speck in your brother's eye look at verse 5 for you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye so Jesus is saying deal with your own heart first okay once you've dealt with your heart, then you can deal with other people. But just like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we do it gently, right? And we do it with the purpose of restoring people. It's not to show that, look, I've got all this Bible knowledge, or look, I'm this person of God, or anything like that. And it's nothing to, again, gratify yourself, but it's out of a genuine desire to help a brother in need, right? And to buy, like the Bible says, to save that brother from fire and to snatch them out of the fire. Because there are people that we know, that we love, that we are concerned about, that if you just say, oh, I don't care what they do, I'm just going to let them go on about their way, and whatever happens, happens. And anyone that's been around the guys at the house long enough knows that if you're that way, people will destroy their own lives a lot of times. And so it's the love and the mercy of God within us when we can go to that person and go, you know what? The path you're on is not a good one. And, and you need to turn. And not only that, but I will help you. I will be there with you. I will walk with you through this situation. Um, so when we look at Matthew 7, and it says, Do not judge, lest you be judged. And again, so many people stop at that point. But the Bible doesn't stop at that point. When we read it in context, we know that it's about first examining yourself. First dealing with your own issues. And that's the thing too. Jesus, God delivers me from my junk so that I can help others be free from their junk. Right? That is the one of the main purposes and functions of God in our lives. And the problem is, is, is we're, we get selfish and self-absorbed and wrapped up in our own stuff and we can't see that right beside me is a brother that's hurting 
or a sister that's hurting, someone that's really in a lot of pain and in a bad situation, and that I am here in this person's life, and I have been through the same thing, in order that I can say, look, you know what? I've been through the same stuff, and this is how God delivered me from it. Amen? And that's, that's the biblical picture of this verse. Turn to another place. Um, in John chapter 7. So again, and it's again the attitude. Our attitude is not looking down on someone and saying, you know what, you're this filthy, rotten sinner and, you know, I can't be around you and stuff like that. That is not at all how we are as believers. Now, as a believer, there are certain things that I don't do. There are certain people that I can't hang out with. Um, if I'm an alcoholic, I can't go to a bar. If I'm addicted to porn, I can't hang out to someone else that's addicted to porn, right? So there are things that we do as believers because we have to make sure that there's not a log in our own eye, right? And sometimes as believers, the best thing that we can do is find someone else to help somebody, right? If I, you know, if say if I've got a problem with lust, it's not good for me to be going off in a corner and praying with a sister, right? So, I mean, so the flip side of that is common sense. John 7, verse, verse 11. So this is uh, in verse 11. So the Jews were seeking Jesus at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly for, of him for fear of the Jews. So again, all this judgment about Jesus, some of it's true, some of it's not. Again, with us, even in the best of our motives, um, people will judge you, right? Sometimes the best, your motive, your intent is, is to help somebody. Your motive and intent is to love somebody. And people think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. They think you're doing it for the wrong motives. And they may judge you for that. Or sometimes your motives may be wrong, but they think that you're the, you know, shining and stuff. But, yeah. So verse 13, or verse 14. But when it was now... The midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were, were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, this, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak for myself. So in other words, if, if you are willing to do whatever God tells you to do, if you're willing to seek Him and put Him first, He will reveal His will to you. Again, it's His desire to reveal His will to us. It's His desire to teach us how to study the Word, to teach us how to study things in context. But again, just like we saw in um, saw God listens to those who are seeking Him with all their heart. Um, Kind of lose them all. Well, it's, it's, so the way I'm thinking you're saying that is if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. What I get out of that is like, if I'm really wanting the will of God and not my own will and not what I want to do, and then I'm not going to 
take scriptures and just try to make them excuse my sinful behavior because I want to obey the will of God. And if our hearts are in the right place and we really want to please the Lord, we're more likely to interpret the scripture correctly because we're not trying to find a, right. a free ride or whatever, right? Is that yeah. what you're saying? And then look at verse 24. So again, all these people in the crowd, they have all these opinions of who he is, why he's doing the things he's doing. Some people are saying like he's demon-possessed. Other people are saying he's from God. Verse 24, he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And the problem with us, again, as believers, is a lot of times we judge, we make snap decisions based on appearance, right? And that can happen even to like men of God. Remember Samuel? When God told him to go and pick a king, and Jesse brought all of his sons to him, and Samuel looks at the first one, and he's like, surely this is the one, right? And God tells him, don't judge by outward appearances. I have not chosen him. So we as believers, we look at situations, and we look at things a lot of times without really examining them to see what the real situation is. Um, so again, as believers, we need to, we need to take our time and, and to seek God and to truly understand what He's doing. Um, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to just look at some scripture and just kind of look at things in context. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on, and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And so Jesus went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. You guys all know the story. Sometimes there would be so many people pressing in against Jesus that he, he would get out in a boat, go away from the shore, and then preach to them because there were just so many people following him, right? Um, so he went, he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. You see that? And so... When you begin to look into the story, turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 15. Because again, a lot of us read stuff like that without going to the Old Testament to see is exactly what the Bible's trying to show us. Leviticus 2018? Uh, Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. 15. 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Love, love it, love Because again, you really can't understand the New Testament without a foundation of the Old Testament. 
when you just take this story and you take it at face value, we really don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. And when we, when we look in the Old Testament, when we understand what was going on, then it makes the Word of God come alive to us, right? And that's the goal. We want the Word of God to be alive to us, right? In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. So again, what's the issue here? The woman has this discharge of blood, right? She's gone to doctors. She's tried to get healed from it. Nothing that she's done. She's spent an enormous amount of money on it. Nothing that she's done has helped her. In verse 19, this is the Levitical law. This is the law that they were living under at this time when this was going on. Verse 19, when a woman has a discharge, discharge, if her discharge, dis Sorry, I can't speak English. If her discharge in her body is blood, she shall continue in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her will be unclean until evening. Everything on which she lies during her impurity will be unclean, and everything on which she sits will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will wa shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whether it's on the bed or on the thing on which she's sitting, when he touches it, he will be unclean until evening. You see that? Uh, verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she will continue as though in, in impurity. She is unclean. Any bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge will be to her like her bed of menstruation, and everything which she sits will be unclean. Okay? So you guys get the picture. I know it's kind of gross and everything. But that's the situation. This is the situation of the story that this woman is in. She is unclean. She cannot touch anybody because if she touches anyone, she'll make them unclean. Right? Mm -hmm. And so look at uh, Leviticus 20. Just a couple chapters over. In verse 18. Leviticus 20, verse 18. And this is the Bible, guys. The Bible, a lot of times, goes places where we wouldn't want to go necessarily. Right? Um, but again, this is why the Bible's true. The Bible is not some kind of fairy tale book. The Bible deals with real issues that we deal with every, not every day necessarily, but to some extent, because the woman's dealing with shame. The woman is dealing with fear. The woman is dealing probably with guilt. Because according to the Old Testament, if you have issues like this, if you have impurities, if you have issues that you can't be healed with, the underlying message is that there's sin. Does that make sense? And so this is the world that this woman lives in. And uh, in Leviticus 20, verse 18, he says, if there's, a woman who, if there's a man who lies with a menstruous woman and uncovers her nakedness, he has laid bare her flow and has exposed the flow of her blood. Look at this. Thus both of them shall be cut off from among their people. What does cut off mean? It means stoned. It means put to death. So... Again, this is the world that this woman lives in. If she touches, and, and what, what is happening here? Jesus is traveling with Jairus. Who's Jairus? He's a temple official. 
He's an important man in the synagogue, right? And this woman is unclean. In her impurity, if she makes somebody else unclean, she can possibly be stoned for that. Or put out of the temple, or put out of the city. So, the fact that she's following Jesus, the fact that she is willing to touch Him no matter what, shows that the cost that she's willing to pay. Does that make sense? This is the story. She is willing to sacrifice everything to touch Jesus' garments. It's not just a case of a woman that has a problem or a woman that has a sickness, a woman that's got a cold or flu or something like that. This is a woman that's been to doctor after doctor that couldn't heal her. And the thing that she has, but she is unclean and she is not allowed to touch somebody that's ceremonially clean. And she knows that if she does that, this temple official could have her stoned for it. He could have her put to death for it. But she's willing to take that chance and touch Jesus because she knows that in Jesus there is an answer to her problem. You see that? Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but that makes the story alive to me. When you take the story, when you look at it in this kind of perspective and you see the backdrop of these things and you bring all these other things into it, then you see the reality and you can put yourself in her feet. You can put yourself in her shoes and walk where she walked because all of us have dealt with fear, right? All of us have dealt with shame. All of us have dealt with, I'm unclean. I'm not good enough. Why would Jesus accept me? Why would Jesus forgive me? Why would Jesus do anything? If I try to seek Him, He's just going to reject me. Right? He's not going to receive me. I'm a sinner. I'm filthy. I'm unclean. I, I don't know about you, but I've been there. Uh -huh. I love too that He has her. It even makes it more meaningful when He has her. He turns around and He says, Who touched me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she confesses it before everybody yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Because like if you're under that law, culturally, you want to hide that. Yeah. You want to tell everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like, you want to hide those things going on. So when he, she calls it out in front of everybody, Mm -hmm. Yeah, she could have just skirted I mean, through the crowd and ran away. Ran away, not told anyone. <laughs> anybody else has heard to say when he says, "Who touched my robes and not robe?" Mine says mm. robes. Mine says garment. Back in Mark. Doesn't it say like who touched me? Like if if it actually or like what is the actual translation? Yeah. Because I thought it said like who touched me, and so he's acknowledging that she touched him, even though she. Like was setting out to touch his garments. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's look yeah, Mike back. Says robe, but it does say robes. Yeah. And then he felt power go out from him. Right. Look at verse twenty-nine. Okay. So she she creeps up through the crowd. She yeah, touches him. And no, uh, Mark. Sorry. And again, even for her to touch him, it says that, that he's surrounded by this crowd of people. They're jostling him. They're bumping against him and stuff. So she had to fight her way through the crowd in the first place just to touch him. And even she broke the law. He did not get upset with her. Yeah. yeah. Verse 29, it says, Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her, of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd, and said, Who touched my garments? So, again, there are so many things just in that statement. She could have ran through the crowd and said, I'm out of here. And just was, yeah. like you say, because ceremonially, she just made him unclean. Mm -hmm. And as a rabbi, 
he should have had to go and wash and purify himself and all this, which I find it interesting that it doesn't say that he did that either. And she's opening herself up to rejection yeah. from everybody around there right. confessing that. I mean, she, you know, and so now, like this woman that crept through the crowd to get near him and touch him, now she's in the spotlight. Right. Yeah. And every eye in the place is on her. Oh, that's so gross. And yeah. That's so embarrassing. Like, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean. And she confessed even after she got what she wanted. Because uh-huh. she got healed. She yeah, could have just totally. disappeared. She said garments too, right? My yeah. Robes. Yeah. So it, it must have been just something besides just his robe. He must have also had something on her to, to say robes or garments. And that yeah. part's kind of well, irrelevant. Back then, That's they also well, the, the prayer shawl. The shawl, yeah. yeah. So she must have just Tassels. wanted just once, almost just touched him. Yeah, so I mean, the thought, you know, she probably just latched on to him, you yeah. know, and stuff, and maybe she touched him, maybe she when touched I him physically. It, up before, so. it literally meant the string of his garment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so it does say in the Greek, who touched my garments rather than just who touched uh-huh. me. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I just remember. It's kind the, of irrelevant. The, thing, the main the main point is is she touched whether she touched him his his garments or whether she grabbed his leg or whatever. The point of it is is that he knew somebody touched her. Even though he and power him. flowed out through him. Yeah. And think of that too. Like all these people are bumping into him, jostling him and stuff right. like that. It's like New York and in in yeah. rush hour and stuff like that. Yet somebody touched him to the point to where he's like, who touched me? Mm-hmm. Right? And how many times are we praying, we're seeking God, and our prayers are just like bouncing off the ceiling, and like, you know, and there's no faith behind it, and there's no power, but there's other times when you pray, and it's like, you feel it, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel like that prayer touched heaven, and mm-hmm. stuff, and, and it's like, you feel like God said, who just touched me? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. There are times when it's like, when by faith, because we have the faith to press through, we can touch God, and God's like, we're not just this number, we're not just a person, we're not just this, this another person in the crowd, but God says, who is that person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That person just touched me, you know, just to know that God acknowledges us sometimes, okay. you know? I mean, that is so awesome. Yeah. Um, verse 31. His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And uh, his disciples are crazy, man. I I love his disciples because they're just like us, right? I mean, they're just so oblivious to everything that's going on around them and stuff. And sometimes, like, such huge things are happening, and they're oblivious to it. They don't even notice it. They don't even see it. And they're eyewitnesses to it. You know, they're right there with him when these things are going on and they don't even realize it. And so, um, verse 32, And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. In other words, she's just coming for mercy now. That's all she can do is just come for mercy. You know what I see out of this? Like, oftentimes, like, we're on a mission. Like, whether it's on an actual mission trip or you know, whatever. Like, he was on a mission to go raise this little girl. Mm-hmm. And he stopped for the one yeah. that 
That's good. That's Especially good. the one that was would be like the least likely, you know? Yeah. So that's good. That is way good. Really yeah, because like even like with ministry or whatever it is, we get so focused on yeah. what we're doing. I, I can't be bothered with these other things yeah. and stuff. That's and good. I mean, I think it's awesome that God can be bothered with us when. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like once he touched her, he stopped and was like, it was like an acknowledgement to her and for the crowd to know, like I just healed. He knew. We can't. I I feel like. Ha- he knew who touched him. He oh, just, yeah. I feel like he must have just wanted to acknowledge her in the middle of her distress, you know? Mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I don't that's necessarily good. think he knew everything. I mean, he might have known that, but he, he mm. was a man. Yeah. And he knew. He laid aside his godhood. Him, I think, you yeah. know, just like, I think it was Elijah who's like, God didn't show me this. And he was kind of shocked that yeah. God shows you some things, but not everything necessarily so yeah. I think Jesus walked in that too. he didn't necessarily know yeah. but he did know that power had gone out from him yeah that's good really I cool agree with that, that. He, I love that Megan he was on a mission that's so good okay so verse 34 and then he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction that's a good day for that baby yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, turn to one more place, Luke chapter 8. I think, too, about her shame. You know, there's so many... You're supposed to go to the elders with illnesses and stuff, you know, and there's some things, you know, I'm in the medical profession, and there's certain things that you wouldn't want to speak to elders to pray over you. Mm. Sure, yeah. sure. You know, I just have something, and so that's right. one of those things that is just too shameful that she wouldn't have ever... Just up, oh Jesus, could you please pray for I mean, could you please heal me of this? So she secretly went right. hoping she's barely touched his garment, you know, but then she's had to confess it. Yeah. So to me it's cool too because we would have never had that story had Jesus not stopped and forced it out of her. Yeah. Right, right. That's true. Matter of fact, yeah, turn to actually hold your place there, turn to John chapter four. Verse 27. Because, again, we're going to look at some different things that were against this lady. Um, In John chapter 4, it's when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. You guys all know that story, right? Um, So Jesus is talking to her and did all these things with her. Look at verse 27. This Okay, so Jesus was talking to her alone, then his disciples came up, right? Verse 27, at this point his disciples came. Look at this. They were amazed that he had been speaking to a woman. You see that? So number one, this lady had a strike against her because she was a woman, right? And in their society, they looked down on women. Um, Jesus came and set women free, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's why Paul said there's no difference between Jew and Greek, male and female. Women were the first to preach the gospel. When Jesus rose from the dead, who was it that went and told the other disciples? It was Mary. And, and his mother, it was women, right? So women were the first to preach the gospel. So we as believers, this whole thing about women are second class, Jesus did away, away with all that, mm-hmm. right? But at the time, women were second class citizens. The disciples, when Jesus was talking to this woman at the well, the disciples were amazed in the first place that he's talking to a woman. It's like, who, who, why? And, and that's the thing, and that's why... 
guys, you should realize what an opposite, awesome thing it is for you to not only be able to receive teaching from the Word of God, but also to teach the Word of God yourselves. Because women in that society were not taught the Word of God. Because they were second-class citizens, right? They weren't taught the Word of God. Everything that they got was what the men taught them. Does that make sense? In other words, they didn't go to the temple. Or did they, well, they went to the temple, but... Yeah, but, but it's not like they, they weren't, they weren't the, the scribes, Pharisees, all the people, all the important people, the ministers were all men, okay. right? Yeah. Women, uh, you know, women didn't really study the Word of God for themselves because they weren't going to teach anyone. Does that make sense? They weren't going to minister to anyone. They couldn't minister because it was the men that ministered. So this was their society. So again, this is another strike against this lady, is that in the first place, she's a woman, and she's going up to speak to the rabbi, which that didn't happen. Okay? Another thing, uh, Leviticus 15, verse 19. We already went there. Yeah. No, we're going back. Okay. Yeah, I think. Leviticus 15. <laughs> Oh, you're right. We already looked at that. So the second thing that was against her, again, was just her uncleanness. So, again, these, when you look at these things, when you look at what she pressed through to get to Jesus, um, it wasn't just a simple thing. She was a woman, she was an unclean woman, and she had the crowd against her too. And the problem with us a lot of times as believers, a lot of times when... And I, I'm just saying this is in a broad way, in a general way. A lot of times when we don't receive things from the Father, a lot of times it's because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Right? A lot of times when we pray, say like a lot of times we'll go to a prayer meeting and our prayers will be just kind of cold and dead because we don't want to get into our emotions, right? We, the, the 21st century Christian, we like, to, we like to look a certain way. We don't want to be emotional. We don't want to get carried away. We don't want to pe let people see our weaknesses and things of that nature, right? And the problem is, is a lot of times if we're not willing to humble ourselves, God won't give us our request. Because a lot of times it takes a lot of humility to slobber from your face and go before God and, and plead with Him and, and not care what anyone thinks about you, not care how people are going to look down on you and stuff. But it was because of that, because she was willing to humble herself, because she was willing to do that, God said, I will heal this person. And that's the thing. The Bible says over and over, what? God opposes the proud, but He exalts the humble, right? Before you go to that one, I want, I want to share something. Go for it. Um, I get to cheat because I know what he's teaching, and so, the, so then I kind of like look ahead. And so, um, so when he told me what he was teaching earlier in the week, I started kind of looking. And when I was reading my Bible, I was kind of watching out for context and stuff like that. And um, I just want to throw this out there because I thought it was really interesting. And the way it came to me was, I was listening to um, I was listening to a popular, very very popular worship uh, band um, that all, many of us love. So I won't mention names, but I will. I'll say they were singing a song, and in the song, they were quoting uh, Romans 8. Um, they, they were quoting Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Um, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities. Anyway, the song was about 
Jesus never leaving us, um, and they were quoting, basically quoting Romans 8, but they threw in there, they said neither death nor life nor, they threw in sin, the word sin, they said neither sin nor death nor life, and, I, and when I heard the song, I was, because I was kind of into it, and then I was like, I don't think that's in there, like, I don't think the word sin is in there, <laughs> and then so, like, I, I looked it up, and I was like, good gracious, sin is not even in there, so they quoted the whole thing correctly, but then threw the word sin in there, and I think, I think, then I was like, okay, well, what's the context of this? Because I was thinking about, you know, what Dean was going to be teaching us. So I was go all the way back and look, read ch a chapter or two before, and within the same chapter. And the, and the context is really interesting. Um, so in Romans, Romans 8, and I was using a different Bible at the time, so y'all bear with me. Um, Romans 8, verse 17. And the children, if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. So the context is their suffering. And Paul is trying to encourage them because they are actually being persecuted and suffering for the gospel. And if you go back over and read it more in context, it says, um, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised and is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, things present, etc., etc., can separate us from the love of God. So I thought it was just so interesting because the context was was not that we can't do anything wrong that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's not the context. Mm -hmm. The context is they were suffering for the gospel, and there were people that were basically thinking that if they chopped their heads off or whatever, and they did all this stuff to them, hang them on a cross or whatever, that somehow that they won't have their Jesus anymore. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter what they do or our bodies. They can't take us away from Jesus. They, no. they, can, they can cut our heads off. They can do all that kind of stuff, but they can't take us away from the heart of God. So it, the, it's not an excuse to sin and say that, you know, you can just sin against God and he's not going to notice and he's not, you're not going to grieve his Holy Spirit. It's not that at all. It's about suffering. And so I just thought that was really good because I learned That's from good. the context from that. Yeah, because like all of us, I think, we, we face that when we start going through persecutions or tribulations or whatever it is, what's the first thing we think? God, why are you not helping me why are you not delivering me where's god when all this stuff happens and god's saying i'm right there but yeah. none, none of these and that's the thing we have to realize is that none of those things none of our situations that we find ourselves in can separate us from god um so many times we feel like god is a million miles away but god is right here he's right with us and stuff and that's and you know we just uh it takes faith sometimes to believe that okay Luke chapter 8, and we'll finish up with here. Verse 10. So, 
you guys all know the parable of the sowers, right? Some of the seed was sowed on good soil, some was sown on rocky soil, and some was sown on the soil that the birds came and ate it up and all that, right? Mm. So Jesus basically gives this parable to everybody, and then He leaves. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't tell them what it means. He, he goes somewhere else and stuff. And so, yeah... If I'm one of those guys, I'm going to be following him going, oh, yeah. what, what are you trying to say there? Listen. Listen to what? Come back. Yeah. So, and, so look at this in verse 10. His disciple, or verse 9. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And Jesus said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it's in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. But the main part that I want you to see is that to you, to us, it's been granted to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Right? And the Bible is filled with mysteries. But God has granted to us that we can understand those mysteries. It might be difficult, and we might have to do some wrestling. We might have to do a lot of praying. Lord, I don't understand the Scripture. And sometimes, again, like we've talked about before, sometimes you have to set a scripture on the back burner, right? And then you might be going along a month, two months, a year later, and all of a sudden the revelation hits you. That's what that scripture means. So a lot of times it takes some patience. A lot of times it takes some digging. A lot of times it takes some chewing. But I just think that it's awesome that God looks at each one of us and says, to you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, our part is involved too because it's not just going to happen by, you know, by osmosis. It's only going to happen as we get into the Word of God and begin to search it out and begin to, to discover it. Look in verse 18 or verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Look at this in verse 18. So take care how you listen. What does your version say, Paul? Therefore, take care how you listen, yes. Yeah. Take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. So, again, be careful the things that we listen to. And when it, takes, when it comes to studying the Word of God, don't just accept it at face value. Study, get into the depth of it. Real, try, to, try to really seek God and see what He's really trying to say. Don't just believe everything that you hear. And I'm not saying be, be nitpicky or be, you know, have a bad attitude or look down on everything. But have an, have an open mind uh, to a degree, but also to a degree, don't just swallow everything that you heard without studying it first. Does that make sense? So to the checks in your spirit exactly and you know and God but the but the point is that God wants to teach us and he will teach us if we if we follow him if we study his word he is he delights in teaching his children just like we saw last week it's um, what is it it's a glory of God to conceal a thing it's a glory of us to seek those things out amen no? oh.